Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Dropping the Gloves. Thanks for joining us here. We really appreciate it. It's, it's November 13th, Tim. Unbelievable. Let me get the weather out of the way. I always do that. It's beautiful. Sunny here. Did you know it's supposed to be 60 degrees in northern Michigan on Thursday? Isn't that wild? <laughs> Why would I know that? No, I didn't. Happy for you, though. You know, I try to start the show on a nice note and you laugh at me. It's really not nice. I hope some of our listeners um, stick up for me and attack. Well, you. it might rain on Thursday in Charlotte. Did you know that? I did not, but that's very interesting. I'm glad you told me. Um, the reason I ask you if you knew that, because you keep tabs on Northern Michigan. You lived here. I've I never lived in Charlotte. I do. You have relatives who live here. I do. So, so sorry. Anyways, before we get into it, this episode is brought to you by, you guys know it, I know it. It's Give Better. They're the best, just responsible gambling company in the world. I think they might be the only one, Tim. And if they're not, they're the best one. They're doing it the right way. They take your bets that you're doing anyways. You guys are all animals. You you, you gamble, which, which, which is fine. It's not a bad thing. I've gambled before. Gambling's fun. It's fun to let it ride. They take all those bets. And if you lose... Oh, it's sad. But guess what? 25% of all your losses goes to charity. So it's not a total loss. You get the feel goodies after you lose a big bet or a bad beat, whatever it may be. So go to givebetter.app slash DTG. That lets them know that we sent you. And you, you sign up. All it is, just a quick survey. You sign up. You start doing your sports betting through them. You get 25% going to charity. And that 25%, everybody, you can write it off on your taxes. So tax season is around the corner, whether you do it yourself or you got someone to do it for you. It says charitable donations, boom, 25% of all your gambling losses is charitable donations. And you get that money back. It's free money. It's crazy. I don't know how they managed to work this, but it's an amazing deal. But wait, there's more. I feel like the ShamWow guy. If you sign up now, and do a quick survey, you have less than two weeks to do this. If you sign up now, you are entered in a contest to win two tickets to any NHL game in the world at any time you want. You can take you, you can take your buddy, whatever. Two tickets anywhere, lower bowl. Sign up now. You'll be entered to win those tickets. So check it out. Do it quick. Givebetter.app slash DTG. All right, Tim. You know who's going to have to start maybe saving their saving their money is Jay Woodcroft from the Edmonton Argus. He was not really not a shocker. He was fired. You know you're going to get fired when you're walking off the ice after getting beat by the San Jose Sharks and you and you look over at your assistant coach and you, and you go, "Is that it?" And your assistant go, coach goes, "Yep, that's it. <laughs> We're done." The Oilers gave him one more game for some odd reason. They gave him one more game and he won and he wins the game. So good for Jay, Jay Woodcroft going off, you know, in winning style. But what do you what do you make of this kind of? I don't know. Let, let's let's really get into this. Tell us the details, Tim, of what's going on in Edmonton. Jay Woodcroft out, new coach, already hired. Who is it? Chris Knobloch, Chuck Knobloch's brother. I don't know if it's Chuck Knobloch's brother, but yeah, Chris Knobloch's coming up and he's going to coach the team. The timing was a little strange, like you said. Like, why not do this after the humiliating loss against the Sharks? Why not do it then? Why wait another game? Then you get a win. That might have been the beginning of a little bit of a streak. If you won three or four in a row, does he lose his job still? Whatever. It was still the right move. It was the right move. Probably not enough. 
That was the general sentiment I got from our fans and listeners online when I posted the news and most people were DMing me saying like, Bet he's not the issue. It's the players. It's the players. It's the players. And they're probably right. I don't watch all the Oilers games. I know there's a lot of issues with um, the defensive structure. And a lot of that obviously can be attributed to the coach and the systems. But the players at the end of the day have to get the job done. And they didn't. So hopefully, you know, like we talked about with other firings in the past, Woodcroft is the odd man out. He's the place that starts. Probably not his fault, at least not 100 percent. But a, a change can ignite the players. And sometimes it's about getting more out of the players at the expense of the coach. So that's what I think is going to happen here. So tell us now the breakdown of the Oilers hierarchy, starting from the CEO all the way down and how it's all linked to a certain player on their team. Yeah. So this kind of starts with, there's a few things here. It starts with the uh, the press conference yesterday, I believe. I think it was on Sunday. Might have been Saturday. Um, Ken Holland goes and he speaks. And, you know, the typical fashion just thanks Woodcroft and says it was time for a change, blah, blah, blah. He's obviously the GM. And he says that we spoke to the leadership group last week, referring to the players, talking about he didn't name names, but it's McDavid, Dreisaitl, you know, Nurse, those, those core guys. In the decision-making process. And immediately after, same press conference, Jeff Jackson, who's the owner, right, um, goes, quote, we didn't consult with the players on this decision. They are here to play hockey. They they don't like being involved in these types of decisions. Connor and the other leaders had nothing Mm. to do with this decision. Right after, like seconds after. Um, these things have to be in conflict with each other, right? I mean, Whitney posted it the other day. Like, what a mess is that? Does that make any sense to you? Well, it's, yeah, it's because (laughs) they obviously consulted with the players, right? right? Like, you're going to do that when you have Connor McDavid on your team. But I think the owner wants to have some type of control over the happenings of his team. And so he's putting, you know, putting out that early fire saying Connor McDavid got the coach fired. He's the one in control here because we've seen this narrative before happen in another sport with LeBron James. He has done this throughout his entire career. LeBron James, get coaches fired, get coaches hired, get a new GM in place in L.A. and Rob Palenka, get players signed, players traded. He's pretty much ran from the outside perspective every team that he's played on. And so the owner, Jeff Jackson, is trying to kind of quell the storm here, I believe, is saying this is Connor McDavid's doing. He didn't like Jay Woodcroft. He wanted them fired. But everything lines up. Everything that the Edmonton Oilers have done the last couple years is all somewhat connected to Connor McDavid, whether it's a player signing, whether it's a head coach that they're going to hire on. Everybody is connected to Connor McDavid, and I, I don't, I don't know. Is it a bad thing to say we consulted with Connor McDavid in these decisions, make Tim? Like, how do you take that? No, I, it's not a bad thing when you have a generational talent, and it's not just the Le- LeBron effect because you see that in other sports and other organizations too. Tom Brady was consulted on on roster and coaching decisions. I assume like Derek Jeter was like players of that ilk just have a little bit of sway. They're not the decision makers. It obviously depends on the ownership group and the leadership group, but it's not a unique thing to say that this is the LeBron effect and that it's a bad thing or it it happens less in hockey. I would have to think 
Um, there's you know, a couple of weeks ago, Chicklets, I think, posted an interview. I forget with who, but it was a guy who was on the Bruins when Jumbo was traded and they were all blindsided by it. And like Raycroft and Glenn Murray and all those guys went to the GM afterward being like, what the heck are you doing? Cause they weren't consulted on a move like that. So it happens probably less in hockey. And now you're at a position. I said Jeff Jackson was the owner. He's the, the CEO, not the owner. Um, he was Connor McD- McDavid's agent and now he's a CEO of the company. And now Connor McDavid's juniors coach for the Erie Otters, Chris Knobloch, is now the coach of the Oilers. That's not a coincidence. His hand is running through all this. Is that, is that a bad thing? I don't think so. I mean, McDavid, is he's your hes your team. He's just a player, but hes where he goes, a team goes. And getting the most out of him is probably the only thing that matters. And so if you're giving him a coach and a system and a, a, I don't know, a way for the organization to be run that's going to get the most out of him, then... I think it's probably a good thing. What do you think? And their biggest free agent signing this offseason was his junior linemate, Connor Brown. So we all know how well junior hockey translates to the NHL. It's pretty much tit for tat. They're the same thing. So if you have put up a ton of goals in juniors with the Erie Otters, you're bound for success in the NHL. Look how good Connor Brown's doing this year. He's killing it. Absolutely killing it. Um, you wrote on the agenda, is this a good thing? You just alluded to, yeah, you got to keep Connor McDavid happy. I don't like this. I really don't. I know you're trying to keep Connor McDavid happy. His contract tr- contract is up is in two years. You know, he he's going to be a UFA. You want to re-sign him long-term and keep him an oiler forever. But at what expense? Is, is Connor McDavid really the guy you want running your team? Does he have that experience? Does he have that know-how to go and just pick coaches and scout players? And you want him involved in every single decision? I, I get, like... I get just keeping the players in the loop so they're not blindsided by decisions. But at the end of the day, you have a GM for a reason. You pay him money to run the team and to fill out the roster. You have a coach and a CEO and a president. They all have their jobs. Connor McDavid has one job. That's to play hockey. That's what it says on his contract. He is a hockey player. It's not GM. It's not coach. It's not scout. Those job titles are filled by other people. So, I like how it works in football. I really do. I, I like what the Colts GM has done and their president and owner. They, if a player complains and they say they want to be traded, they say, okay, go try to find a trade. And if, if it happens, good. If not, whatever. You can just sit at home and watch us play. We don't need you. You're not bigger than the team. So I, I think this is a slippery slope. I think this is really a, a bad precedent for the Edmonton Oilers. You're giving full control to Connor McDavid. And the group of veterans, which is really just Connor McDavid. If they had this meeting a a week ago, Tim, which Ken Holland said, they've known they're going to fire this guy for a week now. Like that's just, it's just a strange situation going on in Edmonton. This new coach is not going to do any different. If he thinks he's a better coach than Jay Woodcroft, I played for Jay Woodcroft. The guy is an offensive minded genius. He knows what he's doing. He studies the game more than anybody I've been around. I've been around some guys who watch tape religiously. Like we're talking all day, every day. Jay Woodcroft just runs circles around them when it comes to a hockey mind and knowing how to get the most out of every single player in every single situation. The Oilers' problem was not their offense. The problem was just the culture in their room. And the problem is who they brought in to surround Connor McDavid. I went back, did a little dive into the Edmonton Oilers of who they brought in, signed and traded for in the last however many years he's been in the league, 2016 till now. So what's that, seven years, Tim? 
going back, there has been really an amazing amount of moves that the Oilers have done. I'll give them this. They haven't sat on their hands. They brought guys in. They've traded guys. They've really just tried to find the missing pieces around McDavid and Dreinsidel. And the Nuge, I guess, because he's been there a while, too. Everybody has just failed miserably. The only one who's had mild success, I, I'll give Zach Hyman some credit. He's had some some pretty good success, but for a short time period. He's only He only signed there a year and a half ago. Let's go back to 2016 with Taylor. Um, McDavid first joined the NHL. They signed Pat Maroon. They trade Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. Good deal. They signed Milan Lucic, seven years, $42 million. That was the big offseason signing, Luch. Absolute abject failure. The next year, they trade Eberle for Ryan Strom. They signed Mike Camilleri, who was still in the league at that point. He signed UC Yokin and Brad Malone, Ty Ratty, Brian Furline. Nothing of note. The funny thing here is these trades. 2017, you trade Eberle for Strom. 2018, you trade Sp- Strom for Spooner. 2019, you trade Spooner for Gagne. You get rid of 2020, you trade Gagne for Athanasiu. So it's just, it was a constant one after the other after the other of trying to find that fit with Connor McDavid. You went through Eberle, Strom, Spooner, Gagne, Athanasiu, and then now Gagne's back in the fold this year. So it's just been a collection of just kind of has-beens trying to fill that spot next to Connor McDavid on his wings. It just hasn't worked. Along with those trades, they've signed just veteran kind of, not has-beens, but just veteran guys who they can sign for just really low money. Tobias Ryder, Alex Chason, Kyle Brodziak, Adam Cracknell, Riley Sheehan, Thomas Yurko, Marcus Granlin, Kyle Turris, Seth Griffin, Derek Ryan, Colton Skivor, Brad Malone, Justin Bailey, Matthias Janmark, Adam Ernie. You're like, just anybody really scare you there, Tim? No. No. And then you're trading for Nick Bukestad, you're trading for Derek Broussard, you're trading for Warren Fogle, you're trading for Tyler Ennis, you're trading for Mike Green, you trade Lucic for Neal, just like a swap of bad players at that point, to be honest. The only really good trades I like, you get Duncan Keith, he played well for them for that one year. You traded for uh, Brett Kulak, maybe, was a good trade. You bring in Matias Ekholm, that doesn't look too good right now, the way he's been playing this year. But as a whole, in the seven years Connor McDavid has been there, not really one good trade across the board. The good signings, I'll give you Zach Hyman. I think that was a good signing. And Evander Kane started out good. Early results this year are not good. He's just shocker, full of turmoil and drama and just brings bad press to the Edmonton Oilers constantly. His wife has a, a big hand in that, but he had the gambling stuff. He had the the wife stuff. He had he just always has issues. So whose fault is this? At the end of the day, is it Shirelli? Is it Holland? Is it the G? Is it the CEO? Is the president? Is it the owner? Or is it Connor McDavid? Where does the blame lie in your eyes, Tim? Well, I'd like to blame the GMs and the the slew of them in a row that made poor decisions and have brought in like third caliber line players who are trying to like maybe you hit magic on one of them over all these just a dozen players you just mentioned and maybe if one of them finds little chemistry with mcdavid because that's really the best you could do you couldn't go out and get any premier offensive players you weren't getting a lot of high draft picks because you guys were better than a better better regular season team and you didn't have the cap room because of mcdavid's contract because of then later dry sidles and some of the others especially now more than ever 
you don't have the ability to go out and get real help for them. Like you've said many times, this is their team. This is their group. And so is that the GM's fault? Yeah, probably. So I don't, I don't blame, I don't blame the GMs for the bad signings because you basically, I mean, 2020, right? Like you can look back and be like, Oh, this guy didn't work out. That was a bad signing, but maybe Lucic would have been a good signing. Like people were happy about it at the time, you know, maybe, um, Adam Ernie steps up. Maybe UC Okanen shows some skill and flash. We know he had hands. Maybe he found chemistry with McDavid. Like it's easy to look back and say, yeah, obviously they weren't going to work because at the time you didn't know and you had no cap from the do it. So you're just hoping that one of these guys strikes gold and, and they didn't. So yeah, it has to be the GM, not for the signings, but for the, the position they put themselves in with the contracts that they have with, with McDavid and the others. But on the flip side, What's the opposite? Like not having McDavid, right? Like you have to pay him what he's worth. And so it's just, that kind of brings me back to it being McDavid, right? Wow. You, you're getting paid what you're worth and you know, that means it, it limits your team's ability to bring on additional talent when you're getting paid that much money. That's not your fault. You should get paid as much as you can. You're the best player in the world, but just know that more pressure comes on you because there are less options to bring in other talent and you've got to get the job done and you haven't. Wow. I am surprised you're taking this stance. I'm usually the one who throws that around. What more could McDavid do? Well, that's a tough thing. He, he led the league in playoffs, even though he was limited in the third round. Right. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 a problem without a solution right now because you you can't possibly look at any of McDavid's stat lines and say, "Buddy, we need you to step up." You know what I mean? Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I don't envy that job. I don't think the problem lies with him. I think he has far exceeded his contract, and he's played his tail off his whole career in Edmonton. I think the problem lies with the GM. He's just signed terrible terrible players, like awful players to bad contracts. And I I, I know you like that theory of just trying to find a guy to fit you like that colorado's done it you're always applauding these signings oh it's just it's a it's a low number value he's going to pan out jonathan duran thomas tatar these guys i i've never seen it work i really haven't seen a guy who's maybe started off good in his career all of a sudden gone away and maybe had a few bad years and then he resurrects his career so correct me if i'm wrong listeners someone who has done that because it hasn't worked with Edmonton. It hasn't worked with other teams who have been strapped for cash and they try to sign a veteran on a minimum. You know who, who it has worked for? The Pittsburgh Penguins. They have brought in so many nobodies that have just worked out beautifully with Crosby and Malkin. Pascal Dupuis, Evan Rodriguez, Connor Sheary, like all these like middle of the line guys just somehow find some chemistry and have career years with Pittsburgh. A lot of them have rings on their finger now. It's worked there. They never did they bring them in or were they part of the fold already? Some of them both. Some of them both. Like Riley Sheehan, all those guys I feel like were part of Pittsburgh's organization and they weren't old guys who have been around the block who they brought in. But I get your point. Pittsburgh is good at it because even bringing in Jeff Carter, even bringing in like Hornquist, they bring in Kessel. But yeah, they, they seem to maybe know the secret, but it just, I, I always go back to teams that just won the Stanley Cup and how are they successful? What does their contract situation look like? Because the Vegas Golden Knights were paying Jack Eichel 10 million. They're paying Mark Stone $10 million. So their top two guys eat up the same amount of cap as the top two guys for the Edmonton Oilers do. 
what makes them different is they surround them with really good talent on really good contracts. William Carlson's making just under six. Marcia Stowe's doing five. Chandler's doing 2.75. Then you can go on and on with the guys that they have on very serviceable deals, but they get the most out of, out of their talent. There's no wasted money on this roster. When you look at the Edmonton Oilers, after Dreinsignal and McDavid and Hyman, I'll throw Hyman in there too. He's on a good contract, but it's just like Fogel at two, McLeod at two, Yonmark at one. Then you look at the defense, it's Bouchard and CeCe and Atcom and Nurse and there's a lot of money where you're just not getting the return on investment. And we won't even get into the goaltenders because we all know that's been a huge issue for them for years. But I really believe maybe two years ago, if you put a good goal in that team, they would have maybe got to the cup. But I don't think that's the most pressing issue in Edmonton. I feel like it's just a lack of depth like we've been talking about for years. And that falls on the GM. <laughs> I firmly believe that falls on the GM. It's, it's and that's the thing. Do you applaud him for trying? Or is it just wasted effort because you're just trying to sign these guys who aren't good? Like, they're not. Maybe at one point they were good in the NHL, but it's just like bringing in Sam Gagne this year is laughable. It's honestly laughable. It reminds me of the old Chicago Blackhawks when they just tried to revamp everybody and they brought everybody back. It's like it's, it never, ever works. It never works. And then Connor McDavid's waxing poetically about his days with the Erie Otters. <gasps> Connor Brown, we played so good together. I scored a million points and he was right beside me and we celebrated and it was fantastic. Brown's got zero points in nine games. Zero. I know he's injured, but he did play for nine. And he did play with McDavid for a good share of that. He's got zero points, Tim. So it never it never works. I don't know. But anyways, does this do you see the needle moving? You get in Chuck Knobloch. Do the Edmonton Oilers go on a winning streak? Does does somehow something the flip switches and they just go on a tear? I hope so. I hope so. I like I think hockey's better when they're winning games. And I think, you know, we'll probably see what we normally see where regardless of who this team is, they're going to start winning. They'll win three of the next four just because of the coaching change. They want to impress them. They want to right the ship. And then I would say after a week is when we learn, let's say, yeah, by the end of November, we'll know who this team is or not. Does this right the ship? Or today's November 13th? Or is it like just a small blip and they're going to slip back into their old ways because they are who they are. It doesn't matter who's on the bench. Um, I hope it's the first one. I think this changes nothing. I think they're a bad defensive team. They have a bad culture, and this will change absolutely nothing. I don't think this new coach comes in and just reinvents the wheel. This is a bad team. So their their remaining schedule this month, it's just like every other team. There's some teams they should beat. There's some teams they shouldn't beat, but I don't know. Like, well, what's a successful, like, I don't know. I just don't see the Oilers making the playoffs right now. With the way this division's shaking out, with the success of some teams in this division, who I, I don't see them slowing down. The LA Kings, the Anaheim Ducks are playing really well. The Canucks look like the real deal. The Vegas Golden Knights are unstoppable. Yeah, they'll jump the flames. They can maybe catch the Seattle Kraken. But eh, time's ticking, fellas. Like I, I like the aggressiveness getting rid of Jay Woodcroft early. They're leaving themselves some rooms for improvement. They still have 60-plus games left in the season, so we'll see. There's lots of time. They've only played 13 games, but they'll play. I don't know. I, I, I don't trust this team. I really don't. Like, they're McDavid, do you think here's – the, here's the bigger question. 
does McDavid resign at the end of 25-26? I'm assuming they're not going to win a championship. I let's oh, say pretty they, easy assumption there. Yeah, let's say they don't make the playoffs this year, but they do next year. And at that point, they'll have made it like five out of seven years or something like that, or six out of eight. Like yeah. they'll make the playoffs most years. They scored the most goals last year in the regular season. <sighs> yeah, I think he stays. I think he does. Crazy. Why? I think he does. Well, I don't know. Nope. <laughs> I don't he'll, know. He'll be, tw- he'll be 29. He'll be 29 years old, coming out probably a few more heart trophies. The best player on the planet still. There'll be a ton of money out there because the cap is raising and it'll continue to rise year after year now, now that the COVID money's been paid off. So the cap could potentially be at 92, $95 million. Zero chance. I think the fact that they keep making the playoffs and losing is actually a detriment to re-signing him because he knows he just can't get over that hump. I was surprised Arthur Matthews re-signed, but he did for a very short term. So I don't know. If I had to bet now, and I am a betting man on GiveBetter.com, if I had to bet, I would say no, he doesn't resign. There's no reason for him to resign, especially now he's got his coach, he's got his shotgun buddy in Connor Brown, the president's his ex-agent. If it doesn't work, what will work? You know. So he's still got Edmonton. No offense, Edmonton, but he's got two years after this year. Right. Okay. Yeah, Drysdale. The other question: Next year's his final season on this contract, and he's he'll be thirty. Oh man, he's gone. Imagine both those guys walk. Sue, you think he's gone more than McDavid? You think McDavid stays? Drysdale goes. Yeah. Well, McDavid. Speaking of speaking of Leon, what have we had an interesting situation with Leon? (laughs) This week. Can you can you tell the people? Because this is funny. I don't fully understand this because I'm not well versed in social media. What happened with Dreinsidle, Tim? I should post in this. our in our Instagram page. I um checked my notifications, uh well, our notifications for the drop in the gloves insta on Saturday morning, and it had like a top priority notification that that Dreisidle had followed our page. And I'm like, no way, that's so cool. Um, so I go to click on his profile to follow him back. Cause I don't, I pretty much, we only follow the guys we've had on the show. Um, we don't follow like everyone in the league. And so, um, I go to follow him back, but it's clear that he doesn't follow us anymore. Cause if he followed us, it would say follow back, but it said, it said follow, which mm-hmm. means follow this person who doesn't follow you. And so I think it was an accident. He saw a page. Um, and he followed and then quickly unfollowed because he followed at that timestamp. It doesn't tell you when he unfollowed, but it happened in the middle of a night sometime. Um, and it even says dry followed you because of your reel, which it doesn't tell you which one, but a couple of days before that we posted a reel basically saying they were two, seven, one at the time. And you were talking about the, the looks on their faces and they're just dejected at the second worst start of, of their, um, franchise history. And, it, it was probably that one. Um, but yeah, I wish you followed us. If you're listening, Leon, come back. We'd love to have you on the show. It's interesting. These guys, they <laughs> everybody thinks they're just locked in on hockey 24-7. In today's age, they see everything. Absolutely everything. A lot of guys have burner accounts, so nothing gets by them. Even the creme de la creme. So there you go. 
I think he was probably agreeing. Maybe he was not reaching for a like, but he's like, this John Scott knows what he's talking about. <laughs> it's funny. It is interesting. What do you think, though? And I, when I was playing, social media was big, but not like it is today with like the, these short clips and things. Like it's just a different world. What do you think if you're a player and you see a clip of me just roasting your whole team? Like what? What would go through your head if if you saw me? And I'd say this daily to you, so maybe this is normal to you. You suck. You're terrible. You know, there's no hope for you. What goes through their head when they hear someone saying that? It's got to be difficult. Or is it just validating to Dreinsidel because he's like, yeah, yeah, we do suck. And it's not my fault. It's strange because like most people that disagree with what you say online all say the same things. Who is John Scott? Punched in the head too many times. He was the all-star game charity case, all that stuff. And and a lot of that, yeah, he's the worst player ever in the history of the league. Um, not true. <laughs> no, but they say it though. Um and all those things is like, but those are like the fans just disagreeing with what you say. And if you said something they like, they would love you. You know what I mean? But you know who's, who's yeah. never disrespected you, at least not publicly, is is other players. You know, like they always have, it's just a, I don't, I don't want to say cheesy and make it a brotherhood, but it's just sort of like, you're in the league, you have some respect there and they'll chirp you when they'll, but like publicly, especially they, there's a, there's a mutual respect among players. And so I always wonder, like, does he think, well, John Scott, like, yeah, like who's listening to him? Or is it like, Hey, John's one of the bigger faces in hockey media and he's got a lot of followers and he played in the league. Like his opinion matters. I don't, I don't know where dry settle. You never met the guy, right? Like, where does he fall on that spectrum? I bet you they know it's true. Like they were two, seven and one. They just got waxed by the San Jose sharks. Like, yeah, I think he sees it and he goes, yeah, we're pretty, we, we're pretty bad. What are you going to do? It's neat that he followed us for a second though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In nice. a moment in time, he was following our show page. Go to Instagram, follow us, everybody. It's very, uh, Tim posts some pretty interesting stuff. I try. You're very creative, Tim. All right. What else are we talking about, Tim? Let's let's get on to the positive. We talked about the Oilers, how bad they're doing. There are a few teams who are actually, <laughs> much to my chagrin, playing really, really good hockey right now. What's going on in Washington here? Yeah, so I was kind of looking through the standings this morning, just thinking, okay, let's get a little recap. Where do people stand? And I'm like, the Capitals are 7-4-2, which is third in the Metro, which I think is around 10th in the league. They're top third team which makes no sense to me and i'm like how how are they doing it we were talking before the show you look at their roster no one's putting up like many numbers at all ovechkin's got 11 points kuznetsov has eight tom wilson has eight john carlson has eight they've all played 13 games so they're humming along like well below par um dylan strome leads the team with six goals he has zero assists like he's not no one here is doing anything <laughs> and there's only there's only six guys that have at least six points which isn't even of a goal a point every other game so no one's doing anything on their roster and then you look at the um and the goaltending too is is okay uh darcy kemper's had the bulk of the starts but he's missing and he's his stats haven't been very good charlie lingren's been pretty good three two and one but his 235 goals against 927 save percentage excellent um, so he's going to get some more starts down the stretch because I, th- I believe Kemper's out. But why are they winning? It has to be the teams they're playing. They're getting a little bit Absolutely. of just favorable matchups, and they're taking advantage of it. They beat the Sharks. They beat the Wild. They beat the Devils, who are struggling. They beat the Flames. They beat 
the Blue Jackets, the Blue Jackets, the Islanders, yeah. who have been slow. It, it, it's it's a it's an interesting stat when you dig into their numbers a little bit. Their advanced stats are not favorable. They they really chase to play. They're always just negative when it comes to the Corsi, when it comes to the goals for percentage, when it comes to everything. What they're doing is winning close games versus bad teams. And it's not like they're taking these bad teams and just molly womping them, like Tim likes to say. They eat by the Sharks with an empty net goal. They're up 2-1. to one. They eat by the Wild. They eat by the Blue Jackets 2-1. to one. They squeeze by the Devils, who are missing their best player with an empty net goal. So they're, they're just barely getting by. But they are winning, so you have to give them props. You know, I like to dump on the Capitals, rightfully so, because they're just a terrible team. But they're winning. If the playoffs started today, they'd be in a playoff position. The East right now is interesting. And I feel like we've seen this the last few years. You go into the season and you say, oh, these teams are going to make take the next step. The Sabres are coming. The Senators are coming. The Red Wings are coming. The, Red, the Penguins are always good. The Islanders have retooled. The Blue Jackets have had high draft picks. It always seems like it just works out. There's eight teams that are really good, and there's eight teams that are really bad. Doesn't it always seem to work out like that? Maybe last year the you know the Penguins and the Panthers were fighting for that last playoff spot, but after that there was a huge chasm of like 10 points for the next closest team. And it seems like it's happening again this year. It really does. They're starting to to separate the top teams, but now this year it's gone from 8 and 8. Now I really only think there's like six good teams in the East. They're very good teams. But they're starting to separate themselves a little bit. It's the Rangers, it's the Hurricanes, it's the Bruins, Panthers, and the Leafs are struggling. But gosh, there's a lot of teams that are still trying to figure it out in the East. And Washington is taking advantage of that fact. The Devils are struggling with Jack Hughes out. The Flyers are surprisingly competitive. But the Islanders are not having a great start. The Sabres are not. The Senators, the Canadians, the Tampa Bay Lightning are very beatable. The Toronto Maple Leafs are just going through so much drama, par for the course for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But you have to give Washington some credit where credit is due. They're beating the teams that they they should beat at this point, and and they're in the playoffs. But when you look at the advanced stats, when you look at the goals for, they're I think dash five when it comes to goals for goals against. They're not scoring many goals, but they're winning games. And stupid Ovechkin, well, <laughs> he gets four goals, two empty netters. Tim, it just drives me bonkers. These empty net goals, it shouldn't happen. Shouldn't count. Should be half a goal. Yeah. Well, the Caps are, are are drop seven for the season, and they have scored only thirty goals, which is the second to least. Only the Sharks have scored fewer goals, and yet here the Capitals are doing well because they're not allowing a lot of goals either. They are minus seven, but they're they've only allowed thirty seven goals, which is about eighth or ninth um, best in the league. And all the other teams are like the the Ruins, Rangers, Knights, Canucks, Blues, Stars, Penguins. So uh, they're stingy. They're stingy. They're probably boring to watch right now. But you got to give them credit for having a winning record at this point in the year. Yeah, good for the Capitals. It's it's a fun story. They will come down to earth just a little bit. They're going to get into the stretch of the schedule where they they're playing playoff caliber teams. I think the teams that I mentioned will figure it out over time. The Sabres, the Senators, the Leafs, those types of teams. The Devils will be better. But when you look at their next few opponents, they're going to continue to win. They play San Jose. They play Buffalo. They play Edmonton. They, they play Anaheim, who is doing better but is very beatable. They go to Arizona. So it wouldn't surprise me come Thanksgiving that they're still in playoff contention. But when the rubber meets the road and the games get really important, that they won't be there. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're not all of a sudden going to turn back the clock and become playoff contenders and make a run. This this is a team that's 
on the back three of their career. They're, they're just riding it out until they get rid of these contracts. They're trying to get Ovechkin that record, which I don't think he's going to. <laughs> it's not looking good. It's not looking no, good. No, he's got four goals, two of them empty netters. Rumors are he's nursing an injury. There was some video of him, you know, not looking hit like his normal self that was released, but he's 38. I don't want to go into this conversation, but yeah, they're doing well. Good for him. What about you? You had an interesting stat, Tim. Eric Gustafson. What is he doing this year? Yeah, so he. I was watching some of the Rangers last night, and he had an assist, a beautiful assist, um, kind of a no-look pass for the one-timer. And I was looking through his stats because he always puts up solid numbers, and he's been bouncing around, and he did really well with um, with the Hawks when he first came out, like 53 points, 56 points. Yep. And then he never really found his home, and he's on three straight years with one-year contracts with three different teams all about league minimum, about 800K to 850K. Like, he hasn't made very much. And he's made more in his career, but he's not that old, and he still still hasn't found a home, really. And during those years, he keeps putting up points. And this year, well, I'd say over the last 82 games, going back to last year, he has 52 points. And he's a defenseman that makes 825K. I don't know why he doesn't get more respect, and I don't know why his teams aren't giving him a better chance. I know he's not very good defensively, I'll go back to that Montreal Canadiens run. He was part of that group, and he was one of the two guys, him and John Merrill, that were playing like five minutes when the other guys were playing 40, just because as the teams went to the overtime, all those close games, it was the Webers and the Sherrats and those other guys. So I understand he's not going to like, he can't play top four minutes defensively, but he's one of the better offensive guys around, and he's doing it on, on bad teams with limited chances, um, this Rangers team being an exception, but he's not running their power play. And so it's cool to see him. Well, he might, he might be now with Adam Fox out. He is with Fox yeah. out now, yeah. Um, I just, I've had a, a soft spot for him for years. It's cool to see him, and I hope he you know, makes a little bit more money. Yeah, he's the perfect insurance policy for exactly this situation. Adam Fox is the premier guy. He goes down. You can plug in Eric Gustafson and not have that much of a drop-off, which is pretty remarkable considering how good Adam Fox is. But I don't understand it either. There's some guys who you look at around the league and you just scratched your head like, how are you not signed for like six years making three, four million dollars a year? Because that's what this guy should get. I don't understand it. Maybe it's his unorthodox way of playing. It just doesn't make sense to me. But yeah, last year, he put up 42 points. 42 points. That's a, that's a pretty legit amount of points for a defenseman. I, I never got it. He's having a good year this year. He says 10 points in 14 games. Is he due for a payday? You can't really invest in him now. He's 31 years old. Uh, I don't know. But the funny thing is he was drafted by Edmonton. So he, <laughs> yeah. he would be perfect for the Edmonton Oilers right now, but they traded him to Chicago, I believe. I'm not exactly sure for who, but probably some throwaway trade for the Oilers. They just get this guy, but yeah, good for him. It's just, it's, it's gotta be frustrating for him to look around the league and see all these guys making a ton of money and don't get me wrong, he's made a ton of money in his career. I think over he's made over just over $8 million in his seven-year career, which is good. But he rightfully shows should be making $3, 4000000 million a year, right? When you, when you get 42 points in a season, it's time to cha-ching. And he signs a one-year $800,000 contract two weeks into free agency with Washington Capitals this year. So it's not like he was sought after. July 1, people are calling his phone. He has to sit around and wait, and he signs a league minimum contract. The same thing happened last year. With the Chicago Blackhawks, he had to wait till stinking October for Pete's sake to sign a deal with them. But 
I don't know. He's having a good year, Tim. Well, good for him. I, I I hope he gets paid. I hope so too, because you look at Keith Yandel's numbers, and they're very similar. Yandel's probably like ten to twenty yeah. percent better when you look at the numbers consistently. But Yandel's career earnings are sixty-eight million dollars, and this guy's he's making eight career uh, million dollars. And so I, I yeah, it's it's a little bit of a head scratcher. It made me think of um, Mark Andre Bergeron. Remember him? He was just like a power play yep. specialist, right? Like he didn't log a lot of minutes, but he would always put up some solid points and he was useful because he was good in a very specific role, not unlike a penalty killer or a face-off guy or one of those things that just has a lot of value. You can do one or two things very well. You can find a job. This thing he does really well is putting up points. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't want to blow him up and seem like he's like this superstar defenseman who's sneaking by everybody. He's not, but he's worth more than league minimum. That's for sure. Yeah, very good reference with the Yandel because they were both drafted fourth round. I just looked it up. I'm like, oh, Yandel had to have been a fourth rounder. Teams are invested in him. No, he was a fourth round, 105th overall. I don't, I don't, I don't know why <laughs> he hasn't been locked up long term because Yandel got the big Coyotes deal, then he went and signed the big deal with the Rangers, went to Florida. So who knows? He'll never get his money because he's 31. No one's going to give him a long term contract. He'll scuttle along one and two year deals, but. All right, moving on. What else are we talking about? Let's talk about some rookies because Bedard did some more things over the weekend that garnered a lot of attention. And I figured let's just go down the line and talk about some of these guys. So Bedard leads the the group as he should with nine goals, 14 points. He has eight goals in his last eight games. And so the joke right now is like it took a month, but Bedard's ready to dominate now. And here he is. Like he's here and he's playing with like swagger and style. Like the goals, it was it yesterday that he had the stick lift and then sniped it from like the goal line right over, um, yeah, Brofsky, like crazy. And he's doing it with like the little shrug to the crowd, like the subtle movement. He's very confident. He's, he's firing on all cylinders right now. I don't need to tell our listeners how good Connor Bedard is, but, um, it's really cool to see that. Uh, Adam Finn. Yeah. What's neat is, sorry, let me just jump in. Yeah. What's neat is he's playing with Nick Felino. Yeah, I think that's amazing because Nick Felino is not the guy you would think of who's going to ride shotgun with Connor Bedard, but they seem to work well together. Felino's doing kind of the hard, heavy lifting. He he's really getting the puck to him, kind of taking that first check. He's sticking up for him. He went after somebody Kulikov. yesterday. Kulik- yeah. Kulikov, Barry Bedard, and Felino goes after him. It's nice to see Philip Kurashev. Looks to be his long-term right winger there in Chicago. He's been playing well with him for the last, I think, two or three games. So, yeah, Bedard's the real deal. Like, he's – I'm not going to talk about him any more than I already do, but he's <laughs> he's legit. Like, he's he's so good. What about Fantilli, number two pick? Yeah, he's got nine points, um, number three pick, uh, on a terrible – Three, excuse me. Um, Columbus team. Uh, playing with – I looked at this on daily face-off the lines. His line mates in the second line, Dmitry Voronkov – and Kirill Marchenko. Now, if you're not a Blue Jackets fan, listener, you email me and you tell me you've heard of these two guys before, and I will call you a liar. Dmitry Voronkov, <laughs> no chance. Um, I'm sure he's a good player. I'm not only to dump on him, but like, it's just crazy that Fantilli's doing this on a bad team with kind of unknown linemen. He still had nine points, so pretty special stuff from him too. Yeah, that team is really disappointment. Johnny Gaudreau, he's got six points this year. Like he hasn't really worked out. I think Fantilli is the guy in Columbus now. Boone Jenner obviously putting up some goals, but it's Fantilli or nobody else because they really don't have much in the cookie jar. It's they're a bad team. I think you nailed it right right off the top. They're they're just not good. That the signings they made this offseason were not very good. This team is struggling. They're 
I don't know. They're they're going to get another lottery pick this year. But yeah, good for Fantilli. After a few years of rookies maybe not coming in and making a big splash, it's nice to see these young kids coming in and really really playing well. It gives me faith in the drafts, the draft process again. All right, who else is playing good, Tim? Leo Carlson has eight points for the Anaheim Ducks, who have won seven of their last ten. Carlson had a hat trick last week. He's scoring some big boy goals, too. Um, and he's a great passer. He had an assist the other night. He's he looks great. And and second overall pick. That's right. Um, it's just cool to see, yeah, like when when they live up to it right away, this has to be one of the best draft classes in years, right? And like at least the, the um the, the top talent, right? Like these these guys are all lottery picks, and so really cool to see them already having some great success. Yeah, it's it's nice. And then down in Arizona, Logan Cooley, much like Connor Bedard, kind of started off a little slow trying to find his footing. He's playing well. He's got 11 points, 11 points this season, 10 are assists, so completely different from Bedard. Bedard's scoring goals. Cooley's getting assists on a bad Arizona team where he's getting a lot of ice time. So good for this. The future is good, and I like what they're doing with Bedard. Um, I think the NHL dropped the ball when it came to McDavid. They had the chance to really make him the face of hockey, much like they did with Kane, much like they did with Crosby. He was the next guy. And I feel like the marketing just to rally around Connor McDavid, maybe he had had something to do with him going to Edmonton. It was hard to market him in a northern market in Canada. They are really doing a good job with Bedard. I know it might seem like overkill sometimes, but it's good. It's good when he's going out there scoring the type of goals that he's scoring in a huge market like Chicago. Keep doing it. More Bedard. I I think he's a good kid. All his interviews are on point. He really praises his teammates. He's not this showy guy. I love his celebrations after a goal. He kind of opens up his hands like, what's up? What's up, bro? But yeah, good for the NHL. I think in a league where they missed the mark on a lot of stuff, they never market their outdoor games. There's teams overseas right now. I have no idea. What they're doing with Bedard is very smart. Just throw him everywhere. Let everybody see who this kid is. He's got a good luck. He's small. He's skilled. He's a special thing. So keep doing that. All right, Tim, let's do some quick hits here. Yeah, just one for you to start here. The quick hits brought to you by DoorDash Canada. If you need quick delivery, try DoorDash. Use promo code NATION25 for 25% off and free delivery. That's NATION25, all caps, coming soon to the U.S. Just one, John, just one question for you today. The Bruins... Um, when Breen won during McAvoy's four-game suspension, he came back and they lose the, the Montreal Canadiens in overtime. My question for you, yeah. are they a better team without McAvoy? I'll give you the floor. No, that's silly. Why would you say that? <laughs> are they a better team without Bergeron? Why? Well, listen, I think they are. They're having a better start with Bergeron not on the team. <laughs> Am I wrong? I feel like there's a good enough sample size to say Bergeron really didn't do much for them last year because they're just as good, if not better, right? Answer the question, Tim? Yes, they're just as good. They are. And then if Malv McAvoy, if they continue to lose with him in the lineup, maybe three games in a row, really crucial games, then I'll start to maybe think, well, maybe we are better off without him. Maybe we don't need him. But they was in overtime, so it's not a real game. He's a good player. He uh, deserves to be on this team. He's a first-line guy. I know what you're trying to do. It <laughs> um, doesn't work. Okay. One more thing I want to just touch on. The Wild just got blown out last night by the Dallas Stars. Jason Robertson finally a three-point game after a slow start. Um, but you tweeted out this morning about, you know, what's going on with the Wild? Why aren't they winning? What's going on? And you had some answers. And this is the team that you, you were critical of a couple of weeks ago. And you got a little, I wouldn't say flack, but one or two people were like, hey, you're 
being too tough on him, blah, blah, blah. They don't look good. There's there's no swagger to no. it. There's no like the only team that's allowed more goals in the wild is the San Jose Sharks. Like that's how bad it is for them right now. And so I know that counts a, a blowout game last night. It's turnovers, obviously the salary cap thing. They're not getting great goaltending, the defensive breakdowns, it's the special teams, it's the the locker room chemistry. There's just a lot of things happening right now. I don't know. Have you have you thought more any more about this team? No, why would I think about them? They're bad. And it's tough to say because I love the Minnesota Wild. I played there. They gave me a chance in the NHL. And I still spent a lot of time in Minnesota in the summers and this and that. But they're, they're not, Tim, they're not good. So what's the point? Should we talk about them more? Should we talk about San Jose? Should we talk about these teams that are going to languish in the bottom of the division and maybe get a lottery pick? No, there's no point. They, the The scary thing is is that they should be good on defense. They have some good defense when they got Brody and Spurgeon, Middleton. Like, they're good. They just traded for Zach Bogosian for some strange reason. Like, he's going to turn the team around. They need some grit on the back end. Yowza. This team is bad, Tim. And for everybody who came at me because they won a game after I said that they're just a, they're a team people want to play, and they're Tim teased me up for this stuff, and he's just sitting there grinning. Go to YouTube and watch how happy he is right now. They're a team that teams look forward to playing. They're an easy win now at this point in uh, in the NHL. It is what it is. They just can't do it. Mark Andre Fleury looked really bad too, by the way. He looks every bit of thirty eight this year, which is which is sad, you know, because he's going to go down as one of the best ever. But yeah, they're they're struggling. Their goalies are bad. The defense is bad. Are we reevaluating Jared Spurgeon? He just got back. Okay. He, was, he was injured to start the year. I know. But it's maybe he's not like, is he an Eric Gustafson? Just really good on offense, put up 40 points a no, year. No, a couple of years uh, ago. No, he's a good defenseman. I know. He's a good yeah. defenseman. I, I I shouldn't say that. He's he's very, very good. I would want him on my team any 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 day of the week. But anyways, anything else, Tim, that you want to talk about? No. No, I think we did it. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. A nice Monday morning. We'll talk to you guys on Wednesday. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 